three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Want to start today with them. Our wishes have been answered. Finally, we don't have to worry about watching Justin Fields being subjected to constant hits and mistakes and Horrible play by the players around him, right? No offensive line. No wide receivers. No weapons. No nothing. How are we supposed to evaluate Justin Fields? How could we even put a point on what he did in 2022? It's pretty difficult to me. And I could understand people's trepidation. I saw a lot of responses today talking about how we still can't evaluate Fields. Which is partially true. I just have to say that I'm very happy that the Bears finally made the correct decision in sitting him for the quote-unquote rest of this season, one game left. I think this was long overdue, and we talked about this on this program a couple of weeks ago. I went on the tape member lives a couple of weeks ago as well. We talked about what would it take for Justin Fields to sit for the rest of the year. Is it a good move? Now, the consensus was there would be learning, right? There would be progress in playing in these meaningful-type games. How would he respond to all this adversity? How's his body going to hold up taking multiple hits? But the Bears play hard for him despite not playing for anything. After all that stuff was a negative. And the Bears kept losing, even though they're trying to tank, but still, Justin Fields did okay, but last week really was a train wreck, to say the least. And his Bears team, especially last week and in the weeks prior, did not play as hard for him as you thought he would. They did it. Offensive line was horrible. Pass rush killed Fields. Wide receivers dropping footballs like usual as no wide receivers. At one point, Simba Webster was the Bears' number one officially due to tons of injuries and poor play. This was a train wreck for Fields, and I think everybody could agree at this point. It was probably not smart to play him these past couple of games. He had no wide receivers, even. Again, Simba Webster is your number one. Bellis Jones, who was benched a couple of weeks ago, now is thrusted into a number one, number two role because there's nobody. Bears had nothing. I don't think that was beneficial to Justin Peel's development. Do you? Do you think it makes sense to play Fields in that sort of situation? Do you think it's right for him to be subjected to constant hits and pressure and ineffective play around him? Now, he's not cleared from anything either. He's had his issues. We know that. He threw that pick last week with no pass rush. Pretty pathetic. (laughs) Bubble the ball a little bit more. He's gotten hit and beaten up. 
This is not just a team-wide issue. Justin Fields is part of this to blame, but I would say more than anything, this was not a beneficial stretch for Fields. And I found it pretty funny because the narrative is starting to shift again when it comes to Justin Fields. I mean, a lot of you said B or C on our poll as we grade and evaluate what Justin Fields did in 2022. Very few of you said A. You know, I find that pretty interesting because at the beginning of this season, when we talked about preseason expectations, when we talked about what to get out of Justin Fields this year, I think everybody shot for the stars. Everybody said he'd be an MVP candidate. Everybody said he's going to be this great quarterback. Well, I'll tell you what, a lot of people have been backtracking recently. A lot of people have been worried. Can a running quarterback of this caliber last for the Bears? With no offensive line, no weapons. He's constantly getting hit. Most sacked quarterback in the NFL. Most sacked quarterback in Bears history, by the way, in a single season. There's a record Justin Fields broke, unfortunately. Now, we talked about how Fields almost broke the rushing record. He won't now, but he did rank the most sacks in a season by Bears quarterback. Jay Cutler was the previous record holder. Now it's Justin Fields. When we evaluate Fields' season, when we think about what he did this year. I'm going to go out on a limb and say B-minus C-plus performance. And I don't think that's a controversial opinion. And here's why. Fields had his moments. Fields got better as a player certainly this year. But I have to say, I think he underwhelmed a bit. I don't think he was what we all expected him to be this year. Better than last year, better than the first couple of games of this season, but I didn't expect this. I expected a little bit more. And I think everybody expected a little bit more. And there have been conversations already about the Bears trading in the draft, potentially trading fields. I've seen people comment that and people propose that. I think it's just a stark difference from where we were week one of the season when it came to Justin Fields. For some reason, the court of public opinion is beginning to shift and change. And that concerns me a bit. Seen a change in the perception of Justin Fields across this city. Even other people I respect in media have started to question whether or not he's really the guy. And if you questioned that week two or week three, you would have gotten killed. But today, there are significant questions that still need answers. What are the Bears going to do to help him? If they do help him. And he still doesn't perform, or he performs like this year, next year. Who's it going to be on? Who's going to be blamed? I think the Bears are committed to him. I think Fields has earned getting a starting spot next year. No question. But how much longer will he be the quarterback for the Bears? No, Bears fans have an issue with attachment. (laughs) I do, too. Once they see a quarterback, they don't like to give him up. I did the same, and I still do the same with Mitch Trubisky. Be wicked, you know it. I'm all about Mitch Trubisky. I'm always following what he does because I feel like he was unjustly run out of town. Some of you who are older fans have attachments to other quarterbacks. Some of you still depend Rex Grossman or Kyle Orton, Jay Cutler, Jim Harbaugh, Jim McMahon. Over the years, Bears fans develop affinities with Okay, QBs, because they've never seen anything great. They've never seen a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers. They've just seen decent quarterbacks, better defenses, and run games. 
like quarterbacks who are likable, have good personalities, and they latch on with the fan bases. So people get attached. My question is this. Are we too attached to Justin Fields? Are our feelings getting in the way of the truth about his game? Just a question. I don't know the answer. We won't know till probably next year when the Bears actually spend money, draft good players, sign free agents, and build a team around him that's going to be competitive and not a bunch of scrubs. We're going to know by next year. We're going to know whether or not our eyes are deceiving us or our hearts are deceiving us versus the truth about Fields and about what he brings to the table. But it's a good exercise to think about. It's a good exercise to ponder as we get close to this offseason. Are we too attached? Are we too married to this idea? Are we too scared about it? What do we think about Justin Fields, really? I mean, if we look at performance, I thought he did fine. I'd say, again, B minus C plus, and I think that's a fair evaluation. I don't think it was A. I don't think he was an A-plus quarterback this year. No way. Led the NFL in fumbles. I don't care if he just lost two. Led the NFL in fumbles. Fumbles lost, only two. But still, there are things he needs to work on, whether or not you want to hear it. The Bears have to develop him more as a passer. The Bears have to find a way to get more passing out of him because this running experiment, as much as I like it, as much as it's entertaining to see, it's obvious as well he's getting hurt. He's getting beat up. His body can't handle it. I love running quarterbacks. I always have. Even before it became popular in the NFL, I respected them a lot because I knew the torture that their bodies went through. And I knew how hard it was to be a running quarterback, to be an effective passer, throwing the ball down the field 40, 50 yards, and get running at top speeds and being essentially a running back quarterback hybrid. It's difficult. So I respect what Justin Fields has done. Second best rushing quarterback in NFL history in one season. That's a fact. Almost took out Lamar Jackson's record. There's so many positives. But we haven't seen it all, have we? Is that cause for concern? I think it should be. And I think this Bears team really has to take a long, hard look at what they have this offseason and make a push. Right? The Bears have to make a push and decide that they want to care about their quarterback because I'll tell you what, it seems like it's always the same pattern in Chicago. It's top-tier quarterback, likable guy, rookie, turning into... Bad team, no support, being run out of town. I don't want the same for Justin Fields. But I also know the Bears are known for being quarterback breakers, and there have been times in the past in which the Bears have seen good quarterbacks, decent guys, get stunted because of bad coaching, too, and bad players and a bad environment. Ryan Poles has to spend money this offseason and do something to help out Justin Fields and trap somebody, too. If not, we're going to see regression. We might see him stunt. We're not going to see what we want to see out of him, what we imagine that we'd see from day one. I'm just saying there's cause for concern here. And we have to be careful as fans and as media members to be unbiased and put our emotions, or at least try to put them, at the door. Bears fans have always had an affinity with quarterbacks. Bears fans have always gotten too attached to them because they've never seen a great one. 
Will Justin Fields be that one to break the mold? Maybe. I don't know yet. But I do know this. We have to evaluate and critique fairly. We have to look at a season, look at what the Bears are, and then evaluate what's going to happen next year. And if Ryan Pulse spends money and Justin Fields is still playing like this today, we may have a problem. We need to see Justin Fields do more. We need to see a better team around him. It's not one way or the other. I think it's both. I think it's a 50-50 effort. 11 picks, 15 fumbles, to lost. So still 13 turnovers by himself. Hey, guys, that's something we have to think about. That's something that we should be considering right now. Not saying Justin Fields is bad. I'm not saying he's a bust. I'm not saying he's not the guy for the Bears. But what I am saying is this. The Bears have to be very careful about how they're going to build around him next year. And Justin Fields himself has to do a good job at learning this offseason and being able to fit in with this team and their environment. I want to take a look at some of your comments on this topic before we move to our next one. Aaron, 15 fumbles, 11 interceptions, 26 turnovers alone. Have to work on improving better ball security and decision-making. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Now, technically, 26 turnovers, well, he only lost two fumbles. Still, those 15 fumbles could have easily been 15 fumbles lost. And there shouldn't be 15 fumbles in general. He has to work on ball security. Interceptions, 11, that's not horrible, but a tie up there. You could blame the wide receiving, the lack of protection at the offensive line, the ability to have to throw the football super quick because he has no protection, but still not the best number either. Justin Fields is the guy we just need to surround him with talent now. If it doesn't work out, then we have a problem. That's right, Ahmad. We do have a problem. He needs talent to help him. Ancient Astronaut says this year the coaching staff and the players got to pass because of the rebuild. We go 3-14 and 14 again in 2023. To- coaches are getting run out of town. In fact, I'll say this. If the Bears are not contending for a playoff spot next year, I think there will be some change. And that's fair to say. We've given them some patience, right? We've given them the benefit of the doubt and said, you know what, you can suck this year, but now you got a number one overall pick. $120-plus million in cap space. Supposedly the answer at quarterback. Next year, you better have a plan ready. You better have a team ready to at least go 9-8, and 10-7, and seven, and contend. I'm not saying they have to make the wild card, but they better be in the race the last couple of weeks of the season, in my opinion. That, that has to happen. Just desirable, I agree. Way too early, but next year if they get the weapons we think he should have, then yeah, a lot of truths in a lot of areas will come to pass. Mike Diesel, three. He was not a running QB in college, which is true. He can and will be a better passer when he gets a line that will give him some time and quality wide receivers and be wicked. I'm still questioning Matt Eberflus's coaching decision to keep him in the game against the Lions and Nick Richard Thompson. Sitting fields is an intelligent move. I think all of that I can agree with. Sitting Fields is certainly intelligent. That's the way we got to keep it going for this Bears team. Um, Fields got hurt, hurt his hip already, and now you're in a situation where you don't want any more injuries to happen to him. He's the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. Sit him for the last game of the season, that means absolutely nothing, even if Fields played, right? He would not win. And the Bears aren't winning that game on Sunday, and I think that's a good time to transition into our second topic, which is this Bears-Vikings game. What are we going to expect out of this game this weekend? What should we be watching? What should we be looking for for the Bears and Vikings game? Well, we know Justin Fields won't be playing. So is it even worth watching? 
Here's why I say it is. And no, it's not just because we have a stream for it. I mean, you could tune in, but I think the truth is there are going to be a lot of players who are on these one- or two-year deals who are going to be playing kind of for their jobs on Sunday. Okay, she just missed it today. EQ St. Frau got signed to a one-year, $1.25 million contract extension. So EQ St. Brown, the wrong St. Brown, will be with this Bears team at least for another year. The article that I read was a puff piece saying, hey, you got a career record 300-plus receiving yards. He's a great pass blocker. He's dropped a number of catches, too, including that potential game winner earlier this season from Justin Fields. So there are a lot of players like St. Brown who are going to kind of be playing for jobs. Nicholas Morrow, right? Linebacker, could be playing for his job. Other players on this team. Other chances, too, for younger guys to show out and show what they're made of for next year. It's the last game of the season. I would expect and hope for a better effort than last week. I would expect and hope for a closer game, somewhat. But we all know that Nathan Peterman is going to be starting. Will Nathan Peterman pull off something big? Now, the Vikings are going to be playing for something, as we know. If they win, they do get to that near number two seed. I think they need to win in a loss to get to the number two spot. Vikings are playing their starters. Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, who's been killing it, by the way. Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen. Everybody's going to be on the field for them on Sunday. All hands on deck. It's going to be an important game for them. They want to be at that number two seed. They need a win and a 49ers loss to get there. I think San Francisco's the real deal, but the Vikings need to do something, and a win against the Bears could help them in regards to that playoff seeding race. If you remember, only the top seed gets that first round by now due to the new playoff expansion. So the Vikings want that number two seed so they could face the worst team, one of the worst teams at least, in the playoff seeding and get a chance to have their chances better as far as advancing in the playoffs goes. I think the Vikings are going to win. I think it's going to be a relatively quick and easy win for them. But again, it comes down to what are the Bears going to do and what could we see from other players on this team. Another big question mark is the running back position. I don't know if Sunday is going to prove to us anything, but remember, David Montgomery's contract is up at the end of the year. What will the Bears do with that? What could we glean on from Sunday to say whether or not the Bears should keep Monty or not. I think Khalil Herbert is a far superior running back. He were running, but he's not there at pass catching, and he's not there at pass blocking. So the question becomes, what will Ryan Poles do there? Is he willing to pay David Montgomery a decent salary and still retain Herbert? Is he willing to cut Montgomery, let him go, keep Herbert, not sign anybody else, or is he willing to sign somebody else, keep Herbert, and have a new two-headed monster? That's a tough question. And I think it all depends on price. I wouldn't pay Montgomery more than $10 million per year, and that's even pushing it. But if you want Montgomery for a two- or three-year deal at $10 million per year, I wouldn't scoff at it. But you know what you're going to get out of David Montgomery. This is not a slight to him. This is the truth. David Montgomery's a barely 1,000-yard rushing running back. When he's healthy, he can run for four yards per carry easily. Catch the football, he can block well. He's a pretty good two-dimensional running back, but his running could be a little bit better. He's not as quick. He's more of a patient runner. They used to use that to describe Le'Veon Bell, right? Le'Veon Bell at one point was the best running back in the NFL. More of a patient runner. Wasn't just quick, lightning fast. He 
Ran through his line, used his line, gained a lot of yards, and for a minute there had a great career until he signed with New York. That's kind of David Montgomery, in a sense. Kind of like Jordan Howard, too. Jordan Howard, I think, was a great running back, but really couldn't catch the football. Montgomery could catch, he could block, and his running, I'd say, is about a C plus B minus. But the other stuff are A's, and that brings value to David Montgomery. Clear Herbert, I think, is an A when it comes to running, purely, and quickness and tenacity, but he's probably a C, if not even a D, especially when it comes to pass blocking. He is a horrible blocker. The Bears also trust in Ebner. They have uh, Darrington Evans, but you don't know if either of those two guys are going to step up and be real options for you come next year. Ebner, when he got the chance to run this year, did not do much. He averaged just around two yards per carry. Evans did okay, but he's not a number one guy or even a number two guy. He's always going to be a number three, going to be near the back of your bench or on your practice squad. So the Bears have a decision to make there. What about other receivers, too? Dante Pettis, who does not have a new contract yet. Pettis Jones, after one year, what do you make of him? And this is where your favoritism kind of comes in, right? Ryan Poles drafted Vandalus Jones, third round, first wide receiver, first offensive player Ryan Poles drafted. He's not going to give up on Vandalus Jones that easily. I think the Bears should have already cut him. He's a third-round wide receiver, can't even catch the football, can't even hold on to the ball. Vandalus Jones should have been cut a while ago, but yet the Bears still have him. He has some speed. He had a nice kick return last weekend. What are the Bears going to do with him, and what's his role going to be next year, and is next year his last chance? Dante Pettis has returned punts decently, but he's dropped a lot of footballs. Bennis has dropped footballs. He's fumbled footballs. Nobody on this team is safe, and I think that's the key when it comes to the Bears moving forward. So this last game is kind of like the fourth back in the day, or now the second preseason game. This is going to determine a lot. A lot of guys are going to be playing out for their jobs. It's like that last preseason game. When the last couple of guys are still there, and the coaches are making their final cuts, and somebody shows out. And they just make the team. I don't know if anybody remembers, maybe back in 2012, 2013, a guy by the name of Britton Golden. Putt returner, kick returner for the Bears, and I think in preseason, he took one all the way for a touchdown. I thought, man, the Bears are going to take him. He was showing out. It was exciting. Last game of the preseason, they still cut him. He ended up latching out with the Arizona Cardinals for a bit. But that's kind of how I envision Sunday. I envision somebody potentially like a Dante Pettis, Maybe even a Bellis Jones or Khalil Herbert, David Montgomery, EQ St. Brown, even though he got the contract, Simba Webster, Nikhil Harry. I feel like some of these guys who we haven't talked about much all year could show out a bit. Maybe somebody has a big game with Nathan Peterman at quarterback, who another guy who's probably playing for his backup role next year. So I think that's the intriguing part about this game. I'm not picking the Bears to win. No way. Uh, the Bears are definitely going to lose this game. I don't know the spread offhand, but I'll tell you what, it's probably the Vikings by a hell of a lot. I think, though, the Bears may make it a little bit more competitive than we think. And I think a lot of guys are going to be playing for their jobs, and they're going to be playing with some urgency, which will be nice to see. Now, last week, we saw just a piss-poor effort from this team. Really a horrible effort. I will contend that's one of the worst Games of this season for that team, for this Bears team. They need to really turn it around, and I think, with all these guys waiting and monitoring their job statuses for next year, there will be better effort for this Bears team, and I think a lot of guys will show up. 
Anybody had the uh, Britain Golden reference on their bingo card tonight? I don't know where I pulled that out from, too. I just remember Britain Golden. But I think there are a lot of guys on this team who are similar to that situation. A lot of guys who were brought in on a one-year deal, right, just to prove themselves. Everybody knew these guys won't be here for long. You know, Bears are going to be rebuilding. And yet now we sit here today and maybe some of these guys could make the team. Like Jack Sanborn, right? Jack Sanborn, undrafted free agent. Best replacement for Roquan Smith you could ever ask for. He should be on this team next year, and he should be starting. Not kidding. I don't care what draft position he is. I don't care if the Bears draft a linebacker first round. They won't, but if they do, Jack Sanborn should be starting on this team next year, and that's what I'm talking about. There are diamond-in-the-rough guys. There are guys you could bring in. And somebody like an EQ St. Brown, who has proved his worth as a WR3 or 4, other guys, like maybe Dante Pettis, maybe Bayless Jones, there are some guys on this team who still have time to prove themselves and could make things better. And I think that's something we're going to be watching this week. And Bears will lose, but watch for those guys to make a difference and to make something happen this week. And I'm excited to see that part of the game for sure. Aaron says, I'm still not content with Bayless Jones, and I'm not either. That's why I mentioned his name. He certainly has something to prove this weekend. Yeah, Bayless Jones, Trey Talk Sports, he needs to step up. He's kind of stepped up, but honestly, I need more out of him. If I see him drop or fumble another ball, I'm going to beg for him to be cut. Don't care if he's a rookie. Can't be making mistakes like that, plain and simple. Trey Talk Sports, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, last year, and we keep referencing this on the show, 16 uh, punt returns, right? And then this year in the NFL, all of a sudden, you just can't return a punt. I mean... You know, they say he has no experience returning punts. Well, he has experience. It's a full year. Remember, he played six years technically in college with the COVID year, being redshirted. He has experience playing football. All these fumbles and all these issues that Bandlish has experienced and that he's cost the Bears games because of are unacceptable mistakes that need to change. I don't drink the whole milk, milk bottle. This thing's empty. It's just a prop, guys. If I brought the real milk in, it's so fresh, because it's so good, Amish Country Farms, that it would probably spoil if I kept it here more than a day or two. It's just too fresh. It's too fresh to keep here for a prolonged period of time. I suggest, if you're really interested in their milk, head on over to Amish Country Farms in Orland Park, have an opportunity over there to check out fresh milk each and every day, refrigerated, and better for you than probably something sitting in room temperature all day long. Also have the chance to find out some great, or check out some great cheeses that they have and other products that they have with imports weekly from the Amish of Northern Indiana. Appreciate the promo spot, see? We're getting those promos in. We're professionals here. We're professionals. Got John Meadows directing and producing. This is Sports Talk Chicago with John Zagluel. We're live here at least for 30 more minutes as we bring you the biggest and best in Chicago sports, and in case you're just tuning in, you're kind of confused as to why we're live. Remember, we have new studios in the Chicagoland area. We plan on bringing you more content in 2023. That includes a couple of live streams per week in which we kind of format this like a radio or television show. We're going to bring you segments. We're going to bring you interaction, poll questions, and the very latest in all of Chicago sports, not just Bears football, though there's going to be a lot of football, also Cubs, White Sox, Bulls, and national NFL and MLB news. So we're here live. We appreciate all of you tuning in and hanging here with us. Still got 30 more minutes, and we still have a couple of more segments to come. So you really don't want to miss. You better, you better stay tuned for this stuff, too. A lot of baseball fans in the crowd, in the building. 
Now, a couple of you asked me already about the Eric Husber signing with the Cubs. Uh, who commented first? Somebody did King Pookie Nation, or was it somebody else earlier in the chat before we even went live asking me what my thoughts were on Eric Hosmer? What my thoughts were on the Cubs signing him. So in case you missed it, Cubs signed Eric Hosmer today for a small deal. Uh, nothing fully put out there, but some speculation suggests it's a one-year deal for Hosmer, potentially near the league minimum, and I think in the days to come we'll find out specifics in regards to money, but I'll tell you what, it will not be breaking the bank. It won't be like his Padres contract from before, which was, I believe, a seven-year, $163 million deal, and the Padres obviously regretted that pretty quick. <laughs> That's not a slight against Hosmer. I mean, he had a couple of great years out in Kansas City, and if you remember... Those Royals teams of 2015, 2014, they were a World Series winner, right? They won the World Series with Eric Hosmer. He was one of their main pieces. Hitting 290, hitting 25 home runs, and the year he went on to free agency, the year before, hit 318. Best average ever, 882 OPS, best ever. Had career highs in pretty much every category, even finished 14th in the MVP voting. So... It was a big move for the Padres and a big risk to bring him on, but he just never latched on out there in San Diego. I think the big thing was this year when the Padres wanted to make that move for uh, Juan Soto. Eric Hosmer was supposed to be a part of that trade. They were supposed to trade Eric Hosmer and a bunch of other players to the Nationals for Juan Soto, and the big thing was Eric Hosmer said no. And everybody blamed Eric Hosmer, saying, who the hell do you think you are? Well, remember, he was getting paid money from San Diego to be there. A lot of money. And he had a full no-trade clause, so he could approve where he ended up going. It almost cost the Padres Juan Soto. So Eric Hosmer, maybe not too much of a team player, as some would say. Ended up getting traded to Boston, only played 14 games there. And on the season, hit 268 with eight home runs in 104 games. Here's the thing about Eric Hosmer, as far as his career goes, he's always been a contact guy. Not really a big power guy. First baseman all his life. Good gold glover. Won three, four gold gloves, actually. Always been a good defender. Not a big power guy, though. Career high 25 home runs in 2016 and 2017. Only eclipsed 100 RBIs once. At one point, had he kept going, he was on pace to maybe get to 3,000 hits. Now that his ship has long sailed away um, after his production out in San Diego. I'm so conflicted on this move as far as, the, as far as the Cubs go. On one hand, I think there's really no harm, right? Cubs bring in Eric Hosmer for a minimal contract, probably the league minimum. I saw somewhere maybe $800,000, but that's not official, so don't quote me on that yet. For one year, low risk, potentially high reward, and that's nice. And Eric Hosmer, if he could somehow replicate his past, this would be a genius move for the Cubs. All-star player, 25 home run guy, 100 RBIs, 290, 300 average. At his best, he was one of the best in the game. But at his worst, which has been the past couple of years, he's been less than league average. In fact, his OPS Plus was 94 back in 2019. This past year, 108, which is better. That means he's only 8% better than all, of, all hitters in Major League Baseball. He's truly a middle-of-the-road stopgap piece at first base. Now, the Cubs, if you don't know, have a big prospect at first. His name is Matt Mervis. They call him Mash Mervis. He had 36 home runs last year in AAA, 108 RBIs, 300 average. 
He's the next big thing for the Cubs at first base. He will be at Major League Training Camp, or spring training. And it's probably going to be an open competition for that first base job. And maybe Mervis wins it. No matter what, I think Eric Hosmer is just going to be here for the short-term stuff. Won't be here long. Won't be the guy. Just going to be a guy for this team until Mervis is ready to go. And I, I, I like that move. I think that's admirable. It makes sense. Locker room guy, veteran guy, not a problem. But here's my small issue with this. This is not a big signing by the Cubs. They went out and they spent money on Dansby Swanson, and nothing against Dansby Swanson, but he is not worth $177 million. I don't care who you ask. He is not worth that much money. Just this past year was his career year, Swanson. If you remember, big-time player, first overall pick out of Vanderbilt. I watched him play at Vanderbilt. And when he came to the major leagues, he was in 240, 250, and everybody stuck up for him because of the Vanderbilt lineage and the Vanderbilt connection and his brand. He was one of the first ever superstars, in my opinion, who was a superstar before it became a thing, right? He was a superstar back in college. He was a superstar in the minor leagues. Then he came to the majors, sucked, and nobody said a word about it. Just last year, he hit his stride, and he's about 30 years old. I think that's unacceptable for somebody who is so highly talented. Somebody who's supposed to be something significant. The Cubs spent $177 million after just getting out of the Jason Hayward contract, mind you. They spent the Jason Hayward money on somebody who could be another Jason Hayward, for all we know. Somebody who could come in, go club defender, right? But also, if you with that bat. The Cubs signed Hayward, just so you know, after hitting 293 with 11 home runs out of St. Louis. Hayward would never hit above 250 with the Cubs. <laughs> Paid him $180 plus million. Now they're out of that contract, and Hayward signed a minor league deal with the Dodgers, by the way. Good luck there. So could that be another potential Jason Hayward signing? I don't know. But I am very weary about it, and I'm not going to buy it till I see results from Swanson. So the Cubs spend money, in my opinion, maybe on the wrong piece. And now they're spending and going budget shopping at first base with Eric Hosmer. Why not spend money somewhere else? Why not give out more money to other spots on your team in which you have a need? That's all I'm saying. You got Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson up the middle. That's amazing. Cubs brought in Tucker Barnhart for a $3 million deal one year. I think that's fine. Barnhart's not a good hitting catcher, but... I think that's okay for a one-year deal. Still have no idea why they let Wilson Contreras walk for less than $100 million. See, that's my point. I would have rather paid Wilson Contreras $100 million or $90 million than Dansby Swanson nearly $200 million. So I really don't know what's going on behind the scenes when it comes to the Cubs. I don't get why money's being spent in certain places or how it's being allocated or who's really making the decisions over there. But they let Wilson Contreras walk. They brought in Dansby Swanson. They said at the beginning of the season, the offseason, that they're willing to spend money. It's time to spend. It's time to be a better team. And I think with the, with the uh, Dansby move, things will get better. I think they could be a 500 team, maybe even a little bit better. Maybe they contend for a wild card spot. And that'd be a huge success, really. I mean, for this team, for where they were a couple of years ago, wild card potential is amazing for them. I'm just saying, if you say you're going to spend money, spend the money. 
Don't go budget shopping for some first baseman after you spent $177 million on Dansby Swanson. If you trust Matt Mervis, then just use Matt Mervis. Then don't even sign Eric Hosmer. What's the point is my thing. Now, Cubs did this back in 2021 and even partially in 2020 when they signed all these old guys who everybody thought could turn it on, like Jonathan Biardo one-year deal. That was a huge disaster. <laughs> a lot of guys who were good in 2015 they brought in over the past couple of years to try and do something, maybe a spark, maybe get something out of them that was 2015-esque, and it didn't work. And they're doing the same thing now and repeating these patterns with somebody like Aaron Cosmer. So that's where my whole issue is. I just It's a past thing that they've done, and now they're doing it again, yet they're claiming they're trying to win. In 2021 and last year, they weren't trying to win, and they got budget signings. Big players who were big in 2015, brought them on, small deals, one year, and nothing worked. Now you say, hey, we're ready to spend, we're ready to contend, and you're still doing some of the same patterns that we saw before. And I think that's the concern, at least, with Eric Hosmer. That's the thing we have to watch out for. At the end of the day, it's a small monetary commitment, and if he works out, amazing, and I'll look like an idiot in a couple of months. I'm not fine with that. I want the Cubs to win. I want them to look better and do well. But I'm not fully convinced on the whole strategy for the Cubs, at least, this offseason. I don't get how you could justify letting Wilson Contreras walk, yet spending all this money on Dansby Swanson, but not choosing to spend half the money of Swanson on Contreras, because really it was about half. Swanson about 180, 200 million in that range, and Contreras only got like 90 million from the Cardinals. So how you can not spend half the money on Wilson, but spend all that money on Dansby really makes no sense to me. I mean, I'm trying to understand where that even comes from. I don't know. Nobody else has told me yet why that's happened. Everybody's just so happy the Cubs are spending money, and that's amazing, but I've yet to see anybody, even in media, analysts, nobody has told me why it makes sense to let Wilson Contreras walk for $90 million, $95 million, and sign Dansby Swanson to 177 over a long period of time. I think it was just to appease Cubs fans. I think everybody got all up in arms about the Carlos Correa thing, which turned out to be a great move by Jed Hoyer. Kudos to him. But everybody got all up in arms. Where's the money? Why are they not spending money? So they go out and they spend money on somebody who probably didn't really deserve it. We'll see in time. But I'll tell you this. I mean, come on. Do you really expect Dansby Swanson to have last year happen eight years in a row? Eight more years of last year? Let's be real. I mean, look at his career averages. It ain't going to happen. I'm telling you right now. As far as Eric Hosmer goes, I think it's a low-risk move. And again, I'm just wondering why it even happened or what the point of it was. Because you have somebody in Mash Mervis who's going to be there. I don't know. Maybe they use him at DH a little bit. But this is just an oddly reminiscent move of guys like Jonathan VR last year or the year before where the Cubs knew they weren't contending, didn't want to spend money, so they brought in washed-up players with big names in 2015 to try and coddle fans and make them feel good about what they're going to do this upcoming season. That's my whole thing with Eric Hosmer. Hope he does well, wish him nothing but the past, but I'm just wondering about the motive, and I'm wondering about what this Cubs team is going to be next year, because they have holes still. I like their rotation. 
young, talented. Last year, I thought the rotation was actually one of their biggest strong suits in the second half of the season. But I am still confused about what they're going to be doing here with Eric Hosmer and how they're allocating their money here in this offseason in 2022. Take a look at some of your comments here. Hayward 2.0 signing, ha, 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 Aaron. Yeah, hey, you know what, Aaron? Maybe maybe I'm going overboard. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. But I'm just saying it's a little it's a little bit reminiscent, right? You know, Jason Hayward, 293, 11 home runs, leadoff guy for the Cardinals, Gold Glover, the Cubs sign him, and he's a dud. Eight years, about $189 million, right? So now they bring in Dansby Swanson for a similar contract, eerily similar contract, and Dansby's coming off a career year, but his actual career numbers are nothing to be proud of. I'm sorry. Nothing crazy. He had a good 2021 when they won the World Series and a good 2022. A great 2022, a good 2021, and the rest of his whole career has been a wash. It's been nothing. So I don't know how that's going to really work out. And usually with these players, I'm just saying usually, they're going to regress to their career averages. They're going to regress over time. I don't know if Dansby Swanson has it in him to perform like last year for eight more years. If he does, good for him. And good for the Cubs on cashing in, in that case, and a great signing. But I just don't know how feasible and how sustainable it's going to be for him. Third base is still an issue for the Cubs. I mean, I don't even know who they have on their depth chart right now. I mean, David Bodie technically could play third base, but they have a gaping hole over there. Ian Happ here and there, but Happ's going to be more so in the outfield, you would think. So that's going to be an open hole, too, and not something the Bears could still reach out and do, or I'm sorry, the Cubs could still reach out and do and, and sign somebody, but going to have to see there. And then King Pookie Nation saying Raphael Devers was too much. So, yeah, the Red Sox signed Raphael Devers to, what, a 12-year contract, a $300-plus-million-dollar deal. I could comment on that quickly and just say this. Devers is a way different player than Dansby Swanson. Or other guys who have commanded that much money. I mean, I'm not saying Raphael Devers is going to perform at the level in which he's performed for 13 years. But the Red Sox are banking that for maybe 8 to 10, he can. And I think Devers has proven it. Devers, as a rookie, was doing great. He was so highly touted from the beginning. I remember watching his debut, Raphael Devers. He's always been solid. Him and Xander Bogarts, who the Padres snapped up smartly for a big contract. That's why I always contend to this day the White Sox made a huge mistake when they traded away Chris Sale. They got the reject prospect. And that's not a slight to Yohan Moncada, but I'll tell you what, Raphael Devers and Xander Bogarts, 10 times better than Yohan Moncada. When the White Sox made that trade, I remember I said, wrong guy. Wrong guy. Should have gotten Devers. Should have gotten Bogarts. Should have demanded more. You traded away Chris Sale. Now again, Chris Sale barely pitched in Boston, so I guess everybody won. But that's something that confuses me to this day. They really, they missed the boat on that one. And the White Sox did today sign Andrew Benintendi, officially, which was some good news. I contended last week when the report came out that this was a great signing, and now it's been made official. So a five-year, $75 million contract for Andrew Benintendi, largest contract ever they've given out, which says something. They are a Chicago team, I'm just saying. Five-year, $75 million, though, for Andrew Benintendi. I remember him in his Boston Red Sox days, another guy that White Sox could have traded for instead of Yohan Moncada. Benintendi was so solid out in Boston for a couple of years. I mean, I remember his rookie year. He came on the scene, and then 
2017 and 2018 were great. Kind of regressed a little bit. But went to KC and picked things back up. And last year suffered a power outage, but a stroke of genius when it comes to batting average. Only five home runs in 126 games. You might be wondering what the hell what, what the hell the White Sox doing here. But hit 304. Had 120 OPS plus. So 20% better than every hitter in Major League Baseball, which is, in my opinion, near elite, if not elite. You could count it as that. And was hitting 320 with the Royals before being traded to New York, and then hit 254. Andrew Benintendi is a talented player. He's an all-star. He's a Gold Glove Award winner. He's a Rookie of the Year runner-up. I think a lot of people underestimate what he's going to bring to the, to the table for the White Sox. I think a lot of people don't know the name, don't know about him. They saw him this year. They said, okay, he can hit for average. What else can he do? So if Andrew Benintendi, the lefty, quote-unquote, keyword, is going to be playing at U.S. Cellular or Guaranteed Rate Field, he will hit home runs. He will. Short porch, shot right field. I can realistically see Andrew Benintendi hitting 20 home runs, hitting 305 again, or 300, 290, cashing in 70, 80 RBIs, and playing gold glove defense. I think it's an excellent signing by the White Sox. They targeted their guy right. Remember, too, it's had something to do with the manager, Pedro Grafal. Grafal last year was coaching Benintendi on the Royals and the Majors. Grafal wasn't the manager, but he was a bench coach. They knew each other, and Grafal, the manager, had a big role in recruiting Benintendi to come play for the White Sox. When have you heard about that in Major League Baseball or for this White Sox team? I supported Tony La Russa, but I'll tell you what, he didn't recruit anybody to come play for this team. <laughs> Nobody wanted to play for the White Sox with Tony La Russa, unfortunately. Nobody did. Pedro Grafal, he's out here using his recruiting tactics and bringing in some top talent. I think that's commendable. For somebody who hasn't even managed a game for this team yet, I think it's already a great improvement in that aspect over Tony La Russa. I know La is a Hall of Famer, and I like La Russa. I still do. I, it's unfortunate to see how things ended for him here in Chicago. But when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to a little bit more youth and maybe connecting more with these younger players, Grafol has it. I mean, Grafol brought over a top player in baseball. Andrew Benintendi is a top 100 player, no question. Brought him over. Convinced him to come over. Convinced Jerry Reinsdorf to pay the money. Rick Hahn to go along with it. And Benintendi himself to say, you know what? I'm going to move everything from New York to Chicago and come play here for a long time. I mean, really think about that. Think about the lengths that Grafol went to to bring in a top player like Benintendi. That's impressive to me. I think that's great. Bring in somebody who you know you can trust, somebody who you're familiar with, somebody who you know what you can get out of. You know he's going to hit 300. You know he might hit for about 20 home runs in a normal year. Maybe 70, 80 RB, RBIs. I think that's impressive. I think it's something to consider. So, I love the move. And here's a controversial point. I guess that's why we're on the air, right? The Andrew Benintendi move, to me, is a better one than the Dansby Swanson move. I'll stand by that all day long.
because Andrew Benintendi is going to continue to produce, produce, produce for such a low cost. It's not even funny. Andrew Benintendi, it, if, if Dansby Swanson's getting that much money, I know he's playing shortstop, middle infield, but let's just say if we're looking purely at offensive numbers, Andrew Benintendi should have been getting $200 million. I'm just saying. I think the White Sox spent way better money, spent it more wisely than the Cubs. And although Sox fans may say, well, it's not a lot of money, and they're not in on Carlos Correa, and they're not spending money on this, White Sox fans love to complain. They have partially a reason why, but this was a great signing and nothing to complain about. I mean, you cannot complain about this. You can't complain about somebody who's going to produce for you, and you know it, based on the past, based on his entire career. Andrew Benintendi's had one bad year. He's always been good. He's always been solid. He hasn't been a superstar. He hasn't been elite, per se, although last year you could argue maybe, as far as batting average goes. But he's always been solid. He's always produced. Tansby Swanson hasn't. The Cubs made a riskier move and put too much money into somebody with so many risks. This was a smart move. This was a steal this offseason. It really was. I think it was great. I think the White Sox won out, and I think he's going to be such a great addition to this team. They needed an outfielder, too. You know, last year was supposed to be A.J. Pollock. White Sox made a trade. They traded Craig Kimbrell for A.J. Pollock straight up before the season. And I love that move, too. I know A.J. Pollock. A.J. Pollock has always been solid. But for some reason, he just did not catch on with the White Sox last year at all. And they had the Billy Hamilton experiment, and Billy Hamilton's always a good runner but never a good hitter. No offense to him, I like Billy Hamilton, but I mean, his career batting average is like 230, and his career on base is like 280. <laughs> so you knew that wasn't going to work either. The White Sox had so many issues in the outfield last year and at second base, and they still haven't really addressed that fully. It's going to be Leori Garcia again with a 66 OPS plus, one of the worst qualified hitters in all of baseball last year. But this was a need. This was a gap that needed to be filled, and the White Sox did a great job at doing what they needed to do. They didn't overpay. They stuck to their guns. Everybody approved of it. The manager recruited it and made it happen. Out of all of that, they brought in a quality player who is going to hit, who may hit for a little bit of power, who's going to play play gold club defense. I have no complaints with this, and I will still contend whether people like to hear it or not. Cubs fans are going to kill me for this. They already have. I've heard it already. But Andrew Benintendi, way better signing than Dansby Swanson. There is no debate. There's no question. I think it makes so much sense based on money, based on past talent, based on history, based on what could come and potential, and based on fit. Andrew Benintendi's playing for somebody who he likes. He's playing for somebody he knows intimately, personally, very, very well. They know each other so well. Great move. He's going to be so comfortable. So comfortable, and he's playing at a short porch, right field. As a lefty, I think it's going to be outstanding. Whatever's going to come for him is going to be outstanding. There is no question about it. I think it's going to be great. Take a look at some of your comments here once more before we wrap up the hour here. 
B. Wicked, you guys should trade for Brian Reynolds and give my Pirates some top prospect pitchers so we have a chance of winning. I don't know when the Pirates are going to be good again, B. Wicked. And we talk about this in the Bears live stream all the time. I don't know when they're going to be good again. And it sucks because I grew up watching the Pirates suck for so long, then be good. 2012, 2013, 2014, the Andrew McCutcheons, the Starling Martins, A.J. Burnett's, right? They were good. I enjoyed watching the Pirates. And then back to mediocrity they go. And it's unfortunate for them. And we get a new owner, says Be Wicked. Yeah. Hopefully, right? Aaron, hanging with me. Love all the comments, brother. Steal of a signing for the White Sox. I think age was catching up with Tony La Russa. Yeah, Swanson's agent is Scott Boris, Aaron. So, I mean, that's why the Cubs overpaid for him. <laughs> and Aaron, uh, Billy Hamilton's another Joey Gathright. All speed, but holes in their bat. Another guy, uh, Quentin Barry. Remember Quentin Barry? Speedster. Good player. Good defender, but just could not hit. Joey Gathright. Remember him? Cubs player. I remember Joey Gathright. Remember when they brought him in? Speedster. I remember, and maybe you do too, Aaron. Uh, Joey Gathright, they did a promo on a Cubs game. This was like 2009 where they showed him jumping over cars. Like, I guess he was a parkour artist. Jumped over like four cars in a row due to his speed. Jumping over everything. Joey Gathright was a talented person. Not just a baseball player, talented person. Yeah, you do remember that video, see? I know it's not just me. (laughs) And Aaron, you also said you're entitled to that opinion, John. Andrew was a good signing for the South Side. Certainly was. I think it was a great move. I think it's going to be one of the steals of the offseason. When we look back on the 2023 season in September, October, and we look at all the teams that spent all this money on all these players, some of them are going to pan out, some of them won't. It's the nature of the business. I think we will be talking about Andrew Benintendi a lot, in a good way. I think it's going to be a very positive thing. I really believe it. King Pookie Nation, why was the Dodgers in on Swanson? Yeah, so the Dodgers didn't get Swanson. Obviously, the Cubs did. Uh, The Dodgers were interested but didn't pull the trigger. Dodgers have not spent a lot of money at all, actually. Kind of uncharacteristic of them. I did hear, though, from some hosts, some trusted people out in L.A., that the Dodgers were not planning on spending money. But now they lost Justin Turner. That core is slowly but surely aging and going away, and all they got is a half-year World Series championship out of it, so sometimes the pitfalls of spending too much money are apparent. I think that's something we're going to have to keep in mind as well. So that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. I want to give big thank yous out to all of you for tuning in, commenting, supporting us, and hanging with us all over YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Remember, you can subscribe to the channel, like the video, comment, and hang with us all the time. Follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. Big, big thank you. Got two bigs there. To John Meadows for directing and producing. This was our first live stream during the week where we actually abided by the hour format and did things the right way or tried to do things the right way. We got a clock in front of me. I mean, this is a whole big operation over here. And I appreciate John running point and making sure that everything uh, went very smoothly. Appreciative to all of you as well for helping out with these brand new studios. Uh, the response has been really amazing. Um, I think a lot of people have loved it. You know, we measure things, obviously. We see viewership and retention, how many people are tuning in. And 
Seems like a lot of you like something new about this, and the only thing that's really changed is the format, of course, a little bit, but also this brand new studio. It is so beautiful. So really appreciate it for that as well. Um, remember, programming notes, we're going to be on live Sunday for the last Bears game of the season. That starts at noon. Bears-Vikings, Nathan Peterman versus Kirk Cousins. Who do you think is going to win that game? After the game, we're going to do an NFL recap show like we did this past week. Monologue on the Bears, looking forward to their future. The NFL offseason is about to get underway, too. There's so much stuff that's going to be happening, and we're going to bring all that to you right here on Sports Talk Chicago. So thank you again for tuning in. Until Sunday, so long, everyone. No! No! We're the turtles!